a fam production for all things mattress fam.news i'm ripping this straight from the website he's a successful ceo who is the son of a pimp and an orphan he goes by jt but his name is javon mccormick and he's the president and ceo of scribe media he lives in austin texas and he is the reason and his team is the reason that come back to bed came to life and we are so excited to have him on the show today Welcome to the Dos Marco Show with Mark Kinsley and Mark Quinn, where mattress and furniture leaders gather to grow, get the inside scoop, tell stories, and take tequila shots. Uno, dos, tequila! Welcome aboard. Here's your passport to a planet filled with the mattress industry's brightest minds and biggest ideas. Meet your guides. I'm Mark Kinsley, President and CEO of Englander. And I'm Mark Quinn, co-founder of Spink & Co. and VP of Sherwood Betty. Together, they are Dos Marcos. The galaxy's greatest mattress podcast has liftoff in three, two, one. What a teaser, Kinsley, for JT, Mr. Javon. Is that is someone was a pimp? Who was a pimp? We're going to get into all that. What a, that's crazy. So much to unpack there. Are you ready for I sh- this? I hey, before we start though, we got to mention a couple of things about nationwide door counts and our buddies at Colonial. But Javon, before we get going fully, I think I have another career for you. If oh, if you're interested, I know you've had a few of them. All right, but I think I have another career for you. You could make a mint teaching people how to smile like you. <laughs> Man, it's funny you said that. Um, it's, uh, and I know you guys will get into it. I used to always say to myself, the gift that I was given from my parents, because my dad was a pimp, my mom was an orphan, I got straight teeth, man. <laughs> 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 I've never had braces, nothing, man. I, and I'm like, hey, you know what? They gave me straight teeth. You got to find the positives. <laughs> hey, you got to look for that. And speaking of positives, we're going to get into a lot of those with you. And again, thanks for being on our show. But Kinsley, prime time is coming up. And the big news they just dropped is Little Big Town is going to perform in a private exclusive show for everyone in the nationwide family at the Grand Old Opry. And I can't freaking wait. My my problem with it is that if they have seen our performance doing the Get Hybrid rap, that they're going to like want us to come on stage and do a set with them and, and bust our rap out. And I, I don't know if we should prepare for that or not. But just in case, August 15th through the 18th, Kinsley and I are both going to speak at Mattress University. Can't tell you what that's about just yet. But we're excited about that. And if you haven't been to a nationwide primetime, you've got to go because they are tons of fun. And now that we can all be together and be in the same room and share our experiences and learn from each other, it is such a valuable way to spend your time and money. And it really doesn't cost you anything because all the great deals you get at the buyer palooza uh, and all the education you get is so worth it. So please don't miss that. August 15th to the 18th in Nashville. Go check it out nationwideprimetime.com. Kinsley, do you have the same concern I do in terms of like, you know, little big town, like wanting us to fill space? Quinn, the last time I performed with a band, it was Party mm-hmm. on the Moon. Mm. Party on the Moon is an amazing band. And we were, were we in New Orleans or were we New in New Orleans? Charlotte? Yeah. This is in Charlotte. And yeah. there's a reason my memory is suffering here because I, I rewrote the lyrics to get hybrid and it, I was going to update them because. Things had changed. 
So I get up on stage and the band falls apart and everybody's like, what's going on? Like, why did the band fall apart? I get up on stage and I, I rap this whole thing, but on the way to the stage, I went to the wrong side. And so I had to run around the back of the stage and we had marble floors. I slipped, absolutely eat shit. And this bus boy, this gem of a human being sees me go down like a sack of potatoes and comes over, he literally picks me up and I hobble to the stage just at the moment when I'm supposed to go on. Luckily, the rap was okay. Finish up, get off the stage, go out in, into the crowd to dance. Somebody had spilled a vodka drink clear on the marble floors. I go down, smack my face. Next thing I know, somebody's whispering in my ear, just dance. <laughs> because just I went dance. And, and hit so, so hard that somebody put glasses on my face and go, they go, you're at a party. Just start dancing. So I just started dancing. I had a blackout f- moment because I hit so hard. So, so, you, you, so what? Little Big Town needs needs me to be as far away from them as possible. I think. So what you're saying is you ate shit, you hit the deck, and people didn't stand over you taking pictures of you laughing at you while you're in pain on the ground. That didn't happen. Unlike the experience I had when Bigfoot attacked me in the window of that store, and you took pictures and laughed at me as I was on the ground holding my ankle in pain. I think you need to talk to somebody about that because clearly there's some issues unresolved. <laughs> well, Javon, Javon's going to hear the whole story and he's going to make the decision on who was right and wrong there. Anyway, but what about door counts? These guys are crushing it too. We had a great show with uh, Dr. V talking about door counts and he was, my God, he went on and on about it. So, Yeah, if you haven't checked out that show, go back and listen to the Dr. V episode. Uh, but look, I mean, if you don't know what's happening in your store from a foot traffic standpoint, you got to join more than 800 furniture and mattress retailers who have signed up and continue to keep door counts because it's such an amazing tool for their business. And it's, it's more sales in three clicks. This is what it comes down to. Check it out at doorcounts.com. But click one, you see your salespeople connect with customers as they walk through the door, camera, photo, connects to a salesperson. Click two, you record the outcome, sale, no sale, or potential sale. And click three, key performance metrics by the minute from any device, anywhere, Holler at Jerry, holler at Amber and Jack, doorcounts.com. And make sure and also holler at our boys over at Colonial. We wore the rain jackets today. And we also have the, this is from Colonial Promotions, by the way. So thanks to Wes and Tim and the team. Uh, But check me out. Hold on. Is this bad luck? It is totally bad luck. Javon, what do you say? Is it bad luck or not? Man, hey, I do not use the word luck. Luck is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) hey this is where we knew javon was going to make it rain because he's made it rain in his career Uh, so we we had to get the umbrella and the rain jacket out this is the dos marcos branded umbrella, a 58 inch canopy and a wooden handle these are the type of swag items you need to be giving your team to give to customers using for your business Sending out to your customers if you're B2B. Uh, we love all the stuff from Colonial Promotions. But, you know, Javon had and, a good uh, point. You know, to send all of our guests like a, a cool fam jacket, you know, maybe before the show or after or whatever it is, it's a great touch point. It's got your brand. It could be a coffee mug. It could be a killer, like little shot glass with your Emma. Whatever it is, your companies are doing this stuff. So, hey, hook up Colonial. Keep it in the family. Keep it in the industry. And in Weston, those guys will take good care of you. So colonialpromotions.com. And that's what I love, Quinn, too, is these guys do top of bed, foot protectors, all this stuff that's already going out to the industry. 
So instead of searching through one of these promo websites and getting 36,000 coffee mugs that you're like, I don't know which one's good. They've already <laughs> tailored that down for you and they know which ones are good so that, you know, the handle's not breaking whenever you take your first swig of Joe. Uh, we have on the show today, I mean, we got to go back to that tease. Javon, I got this from your website. We got this from your website. This, the successful CEO who started as the son of a pimp and an orphan. And now you're the CEO of Scribe Media and you've had a storied career. Tell us that piece of the puzzle first. You grew up in the slums of Dayton, but paint this picture for us and welcome to the show. Gentlemen, I greatly appreciate it. We'll, we'll, we'll gloss over the fact that you guys didn't send me any swag to put on, but we'll, you know, steal my idea, send, send that to, to future guests and, and, you know, I'll feel uh, that I was left out of that, but we'll, we'll gloss over that. Um, man, where do I start? Yeah. My, my dad was a, a pimp and drug dealer. My, my dad's black. My mom's white. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm aged like a fine wine. I, I refuse to say I'm old cause I'm, I'll be 50 years old this year, but man, I was born in 1971. My, my dad was a pimp and drug dealer. Uh, along the way, he also fathered 23 children. So my dad has 23 children. I'm one of 23. I'm the only one by my mother. I, I share this. Um, I am the product of an abortion gone bad. And what I mean by that is in, when my mother got pregnant the first time, she had an illegal abortion. And it was so bad that the second time she got pregnant, she said, okay, I'll take my chances and raise a kid. And so you got to imagine that abortion must have been pretty horrific that you're going to go ahead and say, hey, I'm going to chalk this up for the next 18 years and raise a kid in these circumstances that I have no business raising a kid in. Uh, my, my mother was raised in an orphanage, uh, you know, 1950s institutional uh, uh, abusive neglect. Uh, when she turned 17 years old, the orphanage gave her 20 bucks, small suitcase and said, good luck to you. There's the world. And the first person, unfortunately, my mom came across was uh, my quite a bit older, well-dressed, fast-talking pimp father. And here I am. I, I, was, I was born. My mother and I uh, lived together. We, we, and I say lived together because we were technically raising each other at the same time. She was learning things at the same time I was learning them. Uh, we grew up on welfare. I, I know what it's like to eat out of a trash can. Uh, you know, and wait for the welfare check. I know what it's like to be kicked out of public housing because my mom had a mixed race son and people would call her a nigger lover and that no nigger lovers could live here in, in public housing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've been in juvenile prison three different times as a kid and I do emphasize juvenile prison. It's not detention. It's, it's truly prison for kids. And so uh, man, I sexually molested by one of my dad's prostitutes at the age of six, seven, eight years old. Uh, I don't have a high school diploma. I got my GED and I don't have a college degree, but you know, through it all, man, I, I've pretty much self-taught, you know, how, how do I operate in this world? How do I organize, organize chaos? Uh, I've been in, incredibly blessed to teach myself how to invest in the stock market, made millions of dollars in the stock market, been a president of a software company, can't write code. Now I'm the CEO of a publishing company and I can't tell you an adverb from an adjective and I damn sure can't spell. So God bless America. 
<laughs> and that's all, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in today. And that's, that about does it. I don't even know where we the go. First time we ever did a 12 minute podcast. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask maybe a slightly offbeat question. All right. What's your relationship like with your mother today as you're. What is that like? Uh, it's it's good, man. My my mom has uh she's not in the best of health. My mom has a stage four Parkinson, so think Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so she she's not well. She's lived a, a, a rough life, but for, fortunately, uh, financially, she's taken care of. She she won't need to do anything, ask for anything. If it gets to the point where we got to have a nurse go to the house every day, twenty four hours, great, got the money to do that. So. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's great. It's real. she's really the only anchor I had as a kid. She did her best. You know, my, my mom's apologized to me numerous times for, uh, what she felt was, were her shortcomings. And, and I, and I've said this to her. I, matter of fact, I said this the other day here, here at the office, I, I had maybe nine, 10 people standing around my desk. And I said to people, if I had to relive my childhood five more times, and I knew I would be where I am today. Oh, I'd do it five more times, hands down. The the sexual abuse, uh, the chaos, uh, the times I was I was left, uh, you know, b- being around heroin addicts, drug yes. dealers, pimps. Man, I would do it all over again to to be where I am. Man, I, I've got an incredible wife, four healthy children. Uh, financially, I, I, I'm blessed. I live in a gated community. My kids go to private Christian school. I mean, my God, man, there's a pond in my backyard. I mean, you couldn't have told me that was going to be my life when when I was a kid. So, uh, yeah, I, I do it all again. And did you ever have uh, contact with your dad, or what's the story there? Oh man, so my dad, yeah, he he, my dad was like a solar eclipse, man. Um, I you you rarely saw him, but when you did, it was magical. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, my my dad came through and picked me up. I don't sometimes, maybe three times a month, sometimes twice, sometimes you know maybe only only one time. So uh, I saw him. I was around and and. You know, as as little boys crave to to have that father. When I saw him, man, it didn't matter to me that what what he did. But uh, I I chose, and I still choose, to look at life and the lessons that you're given from a positive perspective. Yeah, I grew up in some incredible chaos, but man, when I look back at my life and the things that I learned from my dad. It was powerful. You know, this this is essentially a, a, a business podcast. I'll give you a great example. Um, I was nine years old and my dad had me for, for a weekend and this is back in the seventies. So the, the car of choice for a black man in the seventies was a Cadillac. My dad had a candy apple red Cadillac Eldorado Brits. And I swear to God, he loved that car more than he loved his kids. Um, so, but it was candy apple red on the outside. The leather seats were candy apple red and no kidding guys, the carpet was candy apple red. So we're out and about, and this was my first lesson into entrepreneurship in business. Granted, I didn't know it was called entrepreneurship at the time. So we're out and we're collecting money from prostitutes. And we pull up to the first prostitute and my dad rolls down the window. I remember it was cold outside. He cracks the window and she hands a stack of cash through through the window, big stack. And she says, can I come in? I've, I've made my count. And my dad, in the most positive, uh, just uh, 
manner. Oh no, get back out there. You're doing great. You know what? Come on. You're on a roll. And, and you know, like it, it was so nice the way he did. You wanted to go back out there. And so he said, Hey, I'll come back around and get you. So we drive off and we go to the next prostitute and he cracks a window and, it, and it's on my side. I'm in the front seat and she slides her stack of money. Well, it wasn't even a stack. She slid some money through the window and it wasn't the stack that the first lady slid through. My dad used every derogatory piece of foul language you can possibly think of uh, to, to speak to her. She, she's crying. I'm watching this. I'm nine and, and I'm watching this and get your ass back then, you know, MF this and be that. And any other word you can think of, he rolls up the window. We drive off. I said like, like damn near hit her dri- driving off. And it was in that moment right there, nine years old. I, I'll never forget this. I remember thinking to myself, okay, if I treated the prostitutes better, let them keep part of the money. Could I have more prostitutes thus make more money in volume and scale that at a better uh, clip than my dad did? And then I even went second level. I said, "Mm, I'm going to have a lot of pissed off competition because other pimps are going to be mad because then their prostitutes are going to want to come work for me. And at nine years old, that was the conversation I was having with myself. But that was my entry into business. How do you scale? How do you treat people better? How do you make it more profitable? Um, so uh, my, my dad was, um, he was what he was, but I, I took, I chose and still do choose to take the lessons that will benefit me in life. Seems like given the adversity, Javon, that you've had, what is the impact on you when you hear young people or any age for that matter complain about where they are in their life and the circumstances <laughs> they have and the rocks they have that they're hiding behind to keep them from achieving what they want to achieve? Like, where does your head go with that? You know, um, I do my best not to compare stories. Everyone's Mm -hmm. got a different, you know, my mom taught me this. She goes, everyone has a story. So don't judge because you don't know their story. And, but when I hear and I look at our society now, here's the best way I can say this. So many people will say to me, well, you know what? I I don't have your story to, to think of, uh, to, to inspire me and to motivate me. I don't come from the same background you come from. And this is what's shocking to people when I say this. I go, well, guess what? I actually don't think about my background when I'm looking for inspiration and I'm looking to really check myself on how I may be feeling at that time. And I said, here's where I go. I look at current events. And here's a great example. Right now, there's a mom walking 1,100 miles with her two kids from Honduras to try to get into this country. 1,100 miles to try to get into this country. And they're standing out at the border, and they're looking at the, the, the Rio Grande River, and they're making a decision. All right, are we going to try to cross this river? And here's the thing. Even if they get into the country, here's what they get. Great, you got in. You still need food. You still need money. You still need a job. You don't speak the language. And so I tell people, On my worst day of being sexually molested, on my worst day of being in solitary confinement as a kid in juvenile prison, on my very worst day, put it all together. 
I never had to face that. I was born in this country. So the fact that I was born here, I have a responsibility to be successful. I don't look at all the problems. Yeah, do we have some flaws in our society? Do we need to wrong, right some of our wrongs in our society? Yes. However, we are still here and success can be had. So I don't, I'm, I'm not a victim. I don't do victim mindset. Uh, I don't make excuses. Someone said to me, well, they're not excuses, but they're reasons. I go, reasons is a nice word for excuses. Well put. You know, I, hey, look, bringing it home, like real close to home, just moments before we started recording the podcast, I'm talking to my nephew about, you are not helpless. Don't say I don't know anymore because you are not helpless. Tell me what you can do. And you're right. We we all have stories and you know, it's such a good reminder to, to sit back and be like, boy, you, you, ha- I'm sure you guys have had this happen. You're upset at somebody maybe, and you get your feathers ruffled. And then you find out this seemingly super successful person who is in front of you, like had something really tragic happen like the day before, but they're still showing up and doing their best. And then your heart melts and your empathy kicks in. And if you just come to the table imagining everybody has that story like you talked about, Javon, that you don't know about, boy, it's a good kind of default, default position to, to bring to the table. Well, you, you know, yeah. you're, I mean, for, for all like the emotional turmoil that you had growing up, you're, you're, you're an enlightened cat. I mean, like you, what was that journey like? How did you become this way? You know, man. Um, I, I again, I got to, I got to take this back to my dad. Um, my dad had decided to take the pimp game to Houston, Texas, and my mom was facing uh, prison time for welfare fraud. So I got shipped to Houston, Texas. I was nine years old, um, <clears throat> and when we were in Houston, my two parts. I'm going I'm to really share with you what, what, what Houston was like when I got there. So this was the first time I had ever been away from my mom for more than, than a weekend. So I get shipped to Houston uh, in July. And, and when I get there, my dad, his prostitute, and my six-month-old half-sister are living in a hourly rate motel. The Surrey House Motel, never forget it. We all know what goes down at the hourly rate motel. So two days after I get there, my dad and the prostitute say, we'll be back. And they leave. And they leave me with my six-month-old sister. I'm nine. And I have no clue what to do with a baby. And, and literally, what, what do babies do immediately when five minutes later, what she started doing, crying. So, man, I, I didn't know what to do. I picked her up. I'm trying to console her. Shh, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. And, you know, we're 10, 15 minutes into this, man. And and I started to go into panic mode because I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't know how to make a bottle. What do babies eat? How do you change a diaper? Like what? And and I'm sheer panics going on now because I don't know what to do. Man, we're 20 minutes into this. And I threw my baby sister uh, across the room. And the moment my baby sister left my my hands, man, I, I just remember thinking to myself, my God, what kind of, of monster throws a baby? And man, by the grace of God, my, my baby sister landed on the couch. 
So I go over and I pick her up. She's screaming. I'm crying. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm panicking. I'm, I'm so stressed. And then the prostitute shows up and she tells me to get out because she's got a man with her. It's time to do business. And she tells me to take my sister with me. So we walk out into this parking lot, July, Houston, Texas, sweltering heat. Humidity's just nasty. My baby sister's got on nothing but a diaper. She's sweating. I'm sweating. Man, I'm trying to find shade just to keep us somewhat uh, sheltered. And I'm, man, I just want to go home. I just want my mom, man. I, I want, I don't know what's going on. Why is this happening? So this is, that's what I arrived to. But what, what also took place to, to answer your question directly, one of the greatest things happened when we were in Houston. I had never, all I knew was poor. All I knew was public housing. All I knew was trying to get by, welfare, food stamps, standing in line, waiting for the bus, going to laundromats, you, you name it. We were poor. And that's all I knew. My dad drove me through, I was 10 at this point. He drove me through a neighborhood in Houston, Texas called River Oaks. It's one of the most exclusive neighborhoods in, in the, the country. And man, I saw five, 10, $25 million homes where one family lived in these homes. Some of these homes were bigger than the housing projects I grew up in. And it was in that moment, I remember saying to myself, I want one of those and I'm going to have one of those. My dad never said anything. I don't even, I, I don't know that he was driving me through there for any reason. He may have been going through there for himself. But he never said anything, never gave me any direction. But I remember seeing those houses and I said, okay, I want one of those. And what was so moving for me was it showed me what was possible. See, I didn't know that I didn't even know those things existed. I didn't even know they were possible. And what that did for me was show possibility. And from then on, if I could see it, oh, then okay, then I know it exists. I'll go get it. It may take time. I may have to be consistent. I may have to give up things. I may have to just go 18 hours straight. But if it exists, I'll go get it. You know, Javon, I grew up in Houston. I can relate to the the weather. Oh, man, <laughs> nice. You know that. Uh, yeah. go, hold on, Mark. You got to let me give you this then because oh. if you grew up there, here, here, get this. So, you know, in River Oaks, oh, every yeah. Christmas, they they decorate for, for the holidays. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of these homes spend $100,000 on Christmas oh, yeah. lights. So last year, this just this past Christmas, and you know they have the carriage rides with the horses. So so and, and they're not inexpensive. They're, they're, it's costly to get on those carriage rides. So I find myself back in Houston last year with my wife and four children on a carriage ride going through River Oaks, looking at the Christmas lights. And I am man enough to admit, man, I cried because I thought to myself, oh. look at this shit here. Here I am going through River Oaks, looking at some of the exact houses I looked at at 10 years old when I was in chaos. And now, granted, I don't live in Houston, but I equally have a beautiful home in a gated community. And man, you, it was just a real, it was a moment for me, man. I love that. And you, you, you have that thing where you're like, look at me now, right? Mm -hmm. And look where I came from. What, what I love about what you said was that you wouldn't change the experiences you've had 
because it it was your story. It is your story. And those things kind of brought you to where you are today. So I really appreciate that. And I, I kind of feel the same. I didn't have nearly the experience you did. So I don't know if I would be saying that. I hope I would. But I, I love that you used it to your advantage. So that's a big thing. Javon, some point in your life, though, you went through that and you you had such a rough start to life. What At what point? When was it? Do you, was there a moment where you kind of felt like this is my break or this is like kind of one of those things that happened that put you on a trajectory to becoming the CEO of Scribe Media, which by the way, everyone, if you're listening to this, you'll probably read about it in the write-up, but Scribe Media is the group that published the book, Come Back to Bed. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, Javon is the CEO of the company that actually published our book. So anyway, so talk about that. Like, was there a moment for you? Was there a guy or a woman or a a job that you had that really kind of put you in the groove to where you are today? You know, I, I, life for, for me, you know, that question has been asked me so, so many times and, and there wasn't one moment there. There's a series of moments throughout life. You know, I, I, I talked about the, the river Oaks, uh, but there, there was another moment. It's the damnedest thing. I had been in juvenile three juvenile prison, three different times on my last time when I was getting ready to leave. Uh, this huge corrections officer, he gets down on one knee and he says, come here, son. And he gets in my face and he goes, if you come back here again, you're going to man prison. Hey guys, I'm 49 years old. I don't know what it is about the term man prison. Shit doesn't sound right. (laughs) And in that moment, I'm like, wait a minute, there's something worse than this. I I don't want to see it. I don't want to go. I've not been to man prison, never going to man prison. And that was a a defining moment. Even then, just someone taking the time to say that. Um, So that was a good one. My, My uncle Bobby, man, thank God for uncle Bobby. Man, I have been kicked around from prostitute's house to girlfriend's house to family member to man one point I was 13 years old homeless sleeping on the bus stop uh, with my little suitcase but I'd go to school each day uh, finally my uncle Bobby took me in and he already had four kids he he took me in and I was with my uncle Bobby for like 18 months very short time period but very impactful for a 13 year old boy to he, my, my uncle Bobby was my first introduction to structure. He was, uh, it was my first introduction to God. My uncle Bobby was a Jehovah witness and we went to, um, uh, Bible study on Tuesdays, Thursdays, church on Sundays. If my uncle Bobby said it, he did it. His follow through was, was impeccable and he, he always kept his word. So I, you know, I was just absorbing, oh, wow. Okay. This is how you do things, structure, discipline, routine, and for those 18 months, it was mind-blowing for me. So, you know, I've got Uncle Bobby. Um, man, th- you know, just even my dad is is harsh and, and horrible at times he was. Man, I took a lot from him. You know, one, one time, um, this is important, man, if, if you allow me to, to, to say this. Uh, my dad had several of us on a weekend. And we stayed up to like 1.30 in the morning. Uh, me and, and several of my half brothers and sisters, because we didn't think my dad was coming back. And then my dad shows up and we're like, oh shit. <laughs> and, and so we're sitting there and he puts his arm on this bookshelf and he's looking at us and we're like, oh man, okay, it's getting ready to jump off in here. And so we're sitting there and we're quiet and he just looks at us and he says, hey, 
Don't you ever end up like me. Don't you ever be like me. And for me in that moment, I just went through a list of things like, okay, don't be a pimp. Don't be a drug dealer. Keep, you know, don't uh, always pick up your kids, uh, take care of your kids. Don't disappear on your kids. And so I just went through everything that I knew about my dad and that became my Rolodex. Um, so yeah, I've got a lot of series of, of things in life that, that have helped me to, to the, the next level and, and really flip the switch. Um, Mark, give me, I, I promise I'll shut up after this one. I don't know that there's anything more impactful that was more life changing for me than when 2007, uh, we all remember the recession mortgage industry crash. I had made, you know, money, million dollars in the stock market, saved it up. Didn't, no one even knew that I, I had that, this money, uh, that, that I made. And, but then the market went away. The housing crisis happened and I was broke, man, flat broke, made a lot of bad decisions, uh, negative broke. I had to borrow money from my best friend and my stepdad to pay rent. So what's important about that? I remember having to go to the convenience store that night and I was embarrassed because now I only had $10 in quarters and I had to put gas in my car. And I remember saying, okay, let me get $10 on number seven. As I'm walking back to the car, I'm smiling. I'm like, man, how'd I get back here again? And, and here's crazy. I wasn't afraid of broke. Me and broke were good friends. I grew up broke. We're like, I was like, hey, broke, good to see you again. Didn't think I was coming back, but hey, how's how have you been? And so broke was fine. I, I I had realized that, okay, I made this money. I can do it again. That was fine. What wasn't fine is when I got back to my little apartment and I had to stand in front of the mirror and have an out loud conversation to myself and I remember saying, okay, you've made money, you've lost money, but your character is still the same. And you are a lot like the very person you didn't want to be. And I had to say out loud, you're a lot like your dad. Man, I couldn't hold a relationship. I was a monster in relationship. I treated women like, excuse my language, like shit. I, I just, and, and the thing was, I don't blame anyone. But the fact of the matter was, I did not know what a healthy relationship consisted of. I had never seen my mom in a healthy relationship. Damn sure hadn't seen my dad in a healthy relationship. So I didn't even know what it looked like. And I had never seen, I had never uh, sought to figure out what it looked like. Taught myself stocks, taught myself the mortgage industry, taught myself business, never looked into to teaching myself, how do you have a, a, a healthy relationship? And in that moment, I said, okay, what are you going to be going forward? What's your character going to be? Because you can't continue down this path of, of treating women this way. Uh, what are you going to do? And that, that, that moment was 2007, massive uh, life changer for me. So did a woman come along at that point that helped you learn how to be? Did you go to courses? Did you seek advice? I mean, how did you make that transition? Because you had such a bad example. And if you don't have a good example boy, you really need some sort of guide, man. Uh, I, I, it, it's, I truly believe I'm a God guy. I, I truly believe that, that God has a path that, that, you know, he's given me these gifts, these talents, these abilities, these blessings for, for me to make the most of. Um, what I started doing first was just watching. Okay. Let, let, let me watch people. Let me see what a healthy relation, how do people interact and, and what, what's that look like? Um, 
My wife now was the is is the first woman who ever knew me completely. Every piece of my background. I didn't want people to know. Uh, I my my dad was a pimp and twenty three kids. And you know who's going to want to date that guy? You know, and, and that my mom was an orphan. I don't know where my last name comes from. And, you know, you, oh, you're going to go get married and you want somebody to take your last name. They don't even know where it's coming from. So I never wanted anyone to know uh, my the entirety of, of my background. So that was one, right off the bat, number one. You know, I wasn't always honest in, in relationships. I, I was whatever I needed to be to get to wherever I needed to go. And so my wife now is the first woman who's ever known every piece of me. And, but what, what's funny to, to your question, man, I cannot make this up. I remember I used to go to the gym and there was this, this family that I would see and I, I would really pay attention to them. They have four kids and they bring their kids and their kids would go into the daycare and the husband and wife would work out and, and, you know, I, I'd watch what kind of car do they have. And, and then I found out that their kids went to private school and, and I was like, wow, you know what? Damn, you got to be making a lot of money to have four kids, kids in private school and, and, and all this. And what, what's funny about it is here I am now and I still go to the same gym. I have my wife, we have four kids and, and I, no bullshit. My kids go to the private school that those kids went to when I, I saw uh, their, their relationship. And so it's almost like I modeled exactly what, what I saw in that, in that couple at, at the gym. Isn't that such wow. an amazing, I don't, want, I don't know if the, what, what the word is, maybe a tool or a way of being in life. When you see that there's a possibility, you see that something exists all of a sudden the spell is broken. Now yeah. you know that is a real way that you can be. That's a real thing that you can do. You know, it's like we had an astronaut on the show, Chris Cassidy, who his brother's a friend of ours. And he was the second Navy SEAL in history to become an astronaut. He met Bill Shepard and Bill Shepard told him, no, you can do this. And he said, I, I can do that. But just in the small things even, it's a, and it seems like that's a, recurring theme in your life, you saw, wow, there's a way to level up my emotional health. There's a way to be like this in business or, wow, that's a great family to model my family after. And you just did it. That's just, not everybody does it. That's incredible. Well, it, it's, it's crazy, man. It's, um, you know, the, the biggest thing for me now is uh, giving back. You know, when I grew up in the communities I grew up in, those low economic communities, the, the only options I knew available to me were rapper, athlete, drug dealer. And, you know, I sucked at all three. So, I, you know, options were limited. Um, but, but, you know, now, you know, no one told us about entrepreneurship. No one told us you could be a business executive. No, no, you know, so I'm big on um, – we, we live in a society where everyone's always saying, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> we're always telling people what to do. But you got to show what's possible. If you show me what's possible, at least I know, okay, that's achievable. And not just by, you know, TV or YouTube. Think about it. If, if the three of us right now look at pictures of the Grand Canyon, it actually doesn't give us the perspective of the Grand Canyon. But if you see the Grand Canyon in person, you're like, wow. And, and that's what those houses were for me in River Oaks. When, when, you, when you can see what's actually possible, 
it's life changing. And, and that's the problem with so many, uh, with so many people in the uh, inner city communities, those low economic communities, they just don't know what's possible. You know, you, you're in your business now. What's so interesting about your career, in my opinion, is, and your dad was smart enough to see it in you, right? He said to you, maybe, I don't know if he, he saw what we're talking about now, which is how you really dial into like your own sense of vision casting or modeling yourself after things that you see or people that influence you. And he said to you, Javon, do not be what I am. I, I think that's so interesting. Uh, and, and, Man, what a, what a great moment for you to actually capture and reflect on. But now you're you're helping people, even like Hinsley and I, um, realize a dream, right? So you, you've lived your whole life and you've you've chased dreams, and and but now you're you're bringing people to this thing. So a lot of you know a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I want to write a book, and I don't know, Kinsley, I had that same conversation many times. And we could never really land on what it was going to be about, how we would approach it. The COVID thing hit. Um, we realized we had the gift of time, and we had done some quite a bit of speaking at this point, and learned a lot from retailers in the mattress category, in the furniture category, and we wanted to put that together and kind of to your point, serve people, right? So give back, so give people the benefit of what we've learned along the way. It's not you know really what we're doing. It's we're taking what we've been given by other people, and we want to share that with other people. And so you're, you're literally in the dream making business because I don't know how many people like literally looked at it. Like, yeah, it's a bucket listing. I got to write a book, but your team in, in Kinsley, and I've told you this, uh, I, I told you this on a call that I had with you, but your team was so good in bringing us along and right from the beginning, level setting the expectation saying to us, and we've said this to some people recently, actually uh, kind of flipped it on them the same way you did with us is what do you want to do? Like, what are you trying to accomplish in yeah. writing the book, what is your ultimate goal? Because you got to set people straight on that. So, you know, yes, dream for sure, but let's get level set on what is the ultimate expectation you have about the work you want to do. And when Kinsley and I both answered that question, your people were like, okay, now we can go forward. Right. right. So it was making sure we had a realistic dream. So uh, do you see it the same way? Do you feel kind of like you're in the, in, in the dream making business and helping people kind of accomplish something that, you know, was so aspirational for them at one point? Uh, all the time, you know, I, I say to people, how awesome is it that our metric for success is how many authors did we help achieve their dream and goal of becoming a published author? And that's our metric. And, uh, you know, fortunately, we're, we're, uh, highly profitable in, in doing it. And we run a great company and a great culture, but you know, when, and th this is no swipe, you know, all, all my, all my workout gear is Nike. So this is no swipe at Nike, but um, you know, their, their metric is okay. How much more, you know, shit did we sell th this quarter? <laughs> That's their metric. How many more shoes? How many more, you know, uh, X, Y, Z, uh, you know, Facebook, they'll tell you that their, their mission is to how many people have we connected? But at the end of the day, it's how much more ad revenue, how many more likes, hearts, all that did, did we make? Our mission is truly how many more uh, authors did we help achieve their dream and goal in becoming a published author? And a lot of times when I speak to people, I even use myself as, you know, what's your definition of success? And this is really eye-opening for people. When I did my book, I said to uh, Tucker and Zach, I go, I don't care if I ever sell a single copy. I said, in fact, I don't even want my book to be public. I need five copies 
so my kids have it as a legacy piece for my great, 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 great grandchildren. So they at least know where this origin started from and how they got here. And that was success. Wasn't sales. I would have paid $150,000 to have that legacy piece for, for my kids, my grandkids, uh, because I don't have a, a legacy. I don't know. You know, when I go into the doctor right now and they say, well, you know, do you have any uh, known health issues? Shit, I don't know. Um, so, you know, where, where some people say, oh, well, yeah, you know, heart, whatever runs in our family, high blood pressure. I, I can't say that. I don't know. Um, so that, that book became important. That was the definition of success. Having the book, having five copies that can be passed down. So when people can define success for them, that's when we'll start working on the book. So I got to go sidebar here. All right. Because you're talking about finding success. Before you do that, how profitable are you? We paid you a lot of money. <laughs> I, I, hey, man, I, I will we, say this. We man. may want to get some of that refunded, Kinsley. <laughs> I am very proud of this, man. We, we are a, we're a six-year-old company, no debt, no loans, no venture capital, no private equity, and we're profitable. And I say this to people all the time. We live in a world where, for whatever reason, these companies that are on series a, B, C, D, E, F, G, uh, they're celebrated. You know, oh, such and such valuation. I mean, you've got Uber, Lyft. I'm not saying anything that's not factually true. Uber, Lyft, never made a profit. They've never made a profit. And, and so for me, what happened to business? The whole goal of business was to be profitable. So I make it real simple. People first, process second, profits third. If you have great people, you can build great process, you can make great profits, and it is in a bonus, you can do great things for the communities that you serve. But the whole goal is to be profitable. The top line and the bottom line matters. So yeah, we're, we're, we're profitable. We're, we're proud of that. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with being profitable. We, we have a hundred percent healthcare for every one of, we call ourselves a tribe, every one of our tribe members. We have an internal emergency fund. Uh, so yeah, our, our, you both know this. We we were voted uh, number one company culture by Entrepreneur Magazine. So we're very proud of of the company, the culture, and, and what we've created for for everyone that works with us. Javon, I was waiting during the process of working with Scribe. I was waiting to see the link that was broken in in people and process. I was waiting to see it because I'm like, I, we've worked with lots of agencies and other verticals and things like this. I was just waiting to see. It. I was like, it's going to happen. It never happened. <laughs> <laughs> it, ne it literally never happened. We had, I mean, we're raving fans of Scribe because of your people and the amazing process. We'll talk about the profit thing later. <laughs> but we we worked with Ellie, we worked with Miles, we worked with Kelly Teamer, um, and then there were other people that were brought into the fold. Uh, another Mark, we called ourselves Trace Marcos at one point, just people to help us with these different parts of this crazy puzzle you have to get together to actually publish a book. It's not easy. And you guys were incredible guides and you showed up with positivity and effervescence at every meeting. And the communication was incredibly clear. Actually, I took notes from Ellie on how she communicated because an email, because she had some cool little ways of doing it that really called out people and it didn't feel like there's a big block of text, et cetera, et cetera. I'm a nerd for that stuff. But I was waiting to see the chink in the armor. I was waiting to see the broken link and it never happened. And I, that's why as I stepped away, I'm like, my gosh, what 
a magical experience to have gone through doing all the hard work of writing a book because we had our manuscript done when we came to you. But then the rest of the process was incredibly detailed and at times arduous. And we had all these edits to make. But on the backside of it, I didn't feel exhausted. I felt energized because of the people I got to work with along the way. And it was just such a great experience. And thank you for you and what you do to build this culture and for the people that actually make it come to life. Your team is great. I love your team. I, I appreciate that. It's, um, it's, it's interesting that it, it's hard, you know, and we make mistakes, but you know, no, no one in this life is perfect. Everyone's made mistakes. It's how do you correct the mistake? And, and I live by this. Um, I, I hate the term. Uh, um, you all have heard this um, fell fast. Man, I've been trying to learn faster my whole damn life. I don't want to fail fast. <laughs> and so, and, and I truly believe you actually only fail if you stop trying. And, and so that, that's really what, what I live by. You only fail if you stop trying. So damn it, don't ever stop trying. And, and so you know, I've got failed relationships. We broke up. We stopped trying. We're not together anymore. But man, when I was the first time president of a software company, oh my God, I made mistakes. But the goal is to, to learn, grow, and don't repeat those mistakes. We make mistakes. How do we correct them? How do we improve? How do we learn, grow, and not repeat those mistakes? And, and that's really how we, we focus the, the, the company throughout. So I, I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot. And I agree with him. It was in Kinsley and I talked about it. We were waiting for the, the shoe to drop. There's no question about it. And it, and it did not happen. Um, and so we're, we're grateful to you and your team for that. Um, Javon, what is it like, why should people write a book? I mean, they're all going to have their own thing. And what I, what I loved about you too, Kinsley, do you remember back in the onboarding process with them? They said, by the way, if your book sucks, we're not going to publish it. And we're going to tell you that it sucks. And I'm like, okay, you know, I guess. And I think we said something like, well, the odds good are good. You're going to have a conversation with us pretty quickly yeah. then. The, the chances of this making it to print are pretty small, but the first draft came back and they were good. They were good coaches. I thought we learned stuff through the process and it didn't suck. And so anyway, um, but we weren't, I mean, we both had some writing experience, but the cool thing is with your business, you don't even have to be a writer. You guys have yeah. a process that you can put someone who has stuff in their mind and in their heart that they want to share. And you can put writers with them to get that out yes. or someone can submit a, a manuscript to you and you can review it and give them an honest assessment of that. So um, anyway, if, if people are listening to this right now and they're like, you know, I kind of wanted to write a book, what would you say to those people? What would you, what would you do to kind of maybe tug them over to say, Hey man, go, go get that. Uh, for, first and foremost, if you want to write a book and, and you all have heard this, we all have heard it. Oh, I've, I've, I've been wanting to write my book for five years, 10 years. So the first thing I would say to you is don't wake up two years from now still saying, I want to write my book. Don't do that. Don't live a what if life. Don't, don't sit there and, and, and continue to put it off. Make the commitment. Do your book. Uh, second, why are you doing your book? With, with us, you know, we're, we're strictly nonfiction. So our authors come to us for uh, credibility, thought leadership, uh, lead generation, or legacy piece. You know, it, mine was was legacy piece. So let let's define success. Why are we doing this book? You know, let's let's fast forward. So we're at the end. We have beautiful content, gorgeous cover. Here's the book. Now, define success. How how do we know that this book was successful for for you? And like I said, for me, 
had nothing to do with sales, had everything to do with having that legacy piece. So uh, that's what I would say to to anyone. And and truth be told, we actually turn away 30% of the people that come to us. And the top two reasons we turn people away, they don't have enough content for a book. They have a great idea, but it's more of a blog post than it is a book. And then number two, they lead with, I want to be a New York Times bestselling author and I want to sell a million copies. Immediately, I will say to that person, okay, you need to call the Kardashians because that's not our business model. You're seeking fame. That's their business model. So ours is you have a purpose for the book. And, and if fame is your purpose, we, we, we're not the right place for you. I think that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I had to sit down Mark Quinn and say, look, Mark, <laughs> you're already famous. How do we make you more famous than you are? <laughs> how do so we full of crap, I don't know how to do that? Oh man. <laughs> we have a lot of those come to Jesus moments. Okay. But he's, he's really plugging right along. He's doing well. I'm evolving. Hey, um, I was, I was doing a, I was doing a little, little deep dive and, and is maybe the stories in your book, we're talking about, about writing books and, and mm-hmm. the business side of things, but I don't want to leave this out. So maybe the story's in your book. Did you write about paying a 50 year old hospital bill? Oh yeah, man. Uh, it's actually not in the, in the book. It's oh. the, the copy of the bill is, is, is in the book. Um, but when I found that bill, um, so, so let me back up a little bit. When you're poor, you tend to save everything because you don't have anything. <laughs> and so for whatever reason, my mom saved a copy of the bill from my birth and she had it. And so I'm, I'm up in the attic and I'm going through this old suitcase. Matter of fact, you, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I'm going through the suitcase that my mom left the orphanage with that I was homeless on the bus stop with in the same suitcase that I had when I got the hell out of Dayton, Ohio at 15 years old. And I still have that suitcase. It's up in the attic. Um, so obviously that, that suitcase has a lot of meaning to it and I always have it, but I'm going through there and my mom had like my first haircut and you know, the hair was in a bag or an envelope. It was in there. And, uh, but I saw that bill and I, I knew immediately I'm like, Okay, my mom was broke. I know she didn't pay this bill. So I get it. And the bill looked like it was just printed off. But this bill's from 71. And so I go and, and I, I Google and I find out, wow, Miami Valley Hospital, it's still there. So I said, okay. I go and get a cashier's check. I make a copy of the bill and I FedExed the, the bill. And, and really, I only did it because I just wanted to say, okay, I paid my way into the world. That was it. That was the only reason I did, did paid that. I get an email from the president of the hospital, and he says, "Are you serious?" Like he goes, w- "Would you mind getting on a uh, call with me?" He says, yeah. "I appreciate you wanting to pay a fifty dollar bill, but at present value, it's thirteen thousand seven hundred dollars." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He actually made that joke too. He goes, "Hey, you know, late, late fees and interest. This is a little more than you sent in." And so, uh, but but I, I get on the phone with him, and it was it was so, man, it, it was it was humbling. Here, here's why. First, he goes, "Hey, I read an article about a company 
that was uh, recently named number one company culture in America. And their CEO was, is JT McCormick. And he said, is that you? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, holy shit. <laughs> and, then, and then he says, okay, I got a question. And this was, this was shortly after, I don't know if you all remember the uh, mass shooting that took place in Dayton, Ohio, uh, a few, few years ago, a couple years ago. And, and he said, I got a question. Would you be willing to come back to Dayton and speak? Because he had seen some of my videos, found out I do keynote speaking, all that stuff. And he said, and speak to the, the hospital. And I was like, yeah, okay. And, and man, it, it, it just started rolling. And he said, look, man, Dayton's got a lot of, a lot of suffering going on right now with what just took place. It'd be great to, to have you come back. And then they asked me if I do it on my 48th birthday. And I was like, wow. So man, I, I, I go, I take my family with, with me. Uh, we get a, a full tour uh, of the hospital. My daughter, my seven-year-old, uh, she has this obsession that she wants to be an obstetrician. So they arranged for my daughter to go to the NICU. To uh, to she got to meet an obstetrician. She got then my son. They took us to the the roof of the hospital. He got to sit in the uh, lifelight elevate uh, um, helicopter, and I, I'm just sitting there the whole time. Like man, I was born in this hospital as a welfare baby, and this is now I'm touring the hospital. And what really brought it all together, man, was the president of the hospital were walking through there and they had blocked off certain hallways and you'd see people standing there as we walked by. And I had this massive entourage of, of people with me, uh, their choice, not mine. And, and so we're walking and he says, Hey, here, here's something uh, eye opening for you. He said, the only person who has ever had more people walking with him through the hospital was the president of the United States when Donald Trump visited us. And he said, the only reason he had more people is because he had secret service with us. He goes, what you're experiencing right now, he says, is right on par with what the president of the United States experienced when he came through the hospital. And man, that just, just that the whole moment of I was born there as a welfare baby, I mean, a, a welfare baby, my mom couldn't even pay the bill. And then uh, lastly, and I, I'll, I'll shut up, um, it's Dayton, Ohio, so it's not like it's L.A. or New York, but they rented out the convention center for me to, to give my keynote speech. So many people wanted to come and hear it. I had to give the keynote speech twice because everyone couldn't fit on the first go round. And that that was just, man, it was insane. And, and it, you, you guys will love this. So... I get off stage the first time and the communications director of the hospital, she comes up to me. She goes, um, I've gotten three texts that you've got family here in the crowd. They didn't even know because I was going by JT. They didn't know it was me until the picture of my dad came up on the screen. I used one of my, a photo of my dad in, in my presentation and they were texting her like, wait a minute. That's my my uncle. That's my brother. So my aunt and a couple of my cousins were in the audience. I get off stage. They come over and I'm like, wow. And and so I didn't even know my family was going to be there. I didn't. Uh, I had my sister there, my, my half sister, my, my half brother were there, but I invited them. But the other people didn't even know they were going to be there. 
that had to be a special moment. Oh man. Uh, had you seen them in a while? Had you stayed in touch? I had not been, not my aunts and, and uh, 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 cousins, my, my half brother and sister. I did because I had just been back in Dayton uh, two years before our dad passed away. And, but, but before my dad passed away, I hadn't been back in Dayton in 35 years, man. I, I hell, I swore I wasn't ever going back to, to Dayton, but, uh, I went back to my dad's funeral. I was very happy. I did, uh, for all the money my dad made as a, as a pimp and drug dealer and he died flat broke and there was no one to pay for his funeral. He was so well known in Dayton that the funeral home, uh, was going to donate the services for his funeral. And I went over and asked them how much it would be if they didn't donate it. They told me and I paid for it. And that, that was, uh, that was a big moment for me as well, because for me, um, I even remember saying, you know, I got to stand up in front of the, the, you, you go up and you speak your two minutes, speak your piece, you know, what, whatever you want to say about the the deceased. And I heard all these cool stories about my dad. There were pimps there talking about how my, my dad taught them how to dress, how to count money, how to, you know, I mean, literally they're talking out loud. Yeah, my dad, my, uh, my dad's nickname was Booby. And they said, yeah, Booby taught me how to pimp hoes. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is a, this is a real funeral going on right here. And so I, I got up there and I said, look, um, I really appreciate all the stories. I didn't know so many of these things about my dad. I said, but that's not what I remember. I said, I remember being that five-year-old kid standing in the window waiting for my dad to come get me, and he never showed. I said, so the only reason I'm here today is because heaven or hell, wherever he is, I didn't want him waiting for me like I waited on him. And I walked off. Hmm. Wow. Well, Javon, I, I don't even know what to say. Um, other than the people we have on this show, um, you know, it, it's a fun thing to get to bring people on and talk about things. But Kinsley and I are always the ones who benefit, I think, the most because the stories are so good. Your story is so compelling and so rich and so inspiring. And the fact that you've been through um, the things that you've been through, but battled through that. The fact that you shine such a bright light with your smile and with uh, the things that you do and your faith and how you are living your life these days and you didn't let um, your circumstances dictate um, your character, who you are going forward and what you've done with your team and how you keep growing it and serving not just the people like us who came to you looking for help to bring a book to market, but the people inside of your own company, the stuff that you value um, in terms of making a workplace a great place to be. Um, it's awesome stuff. And uh, I, I'm just so grateful you took the time to be with us. And today. I also have to say, I heard you mention this. You said sleep, sacrifice, success. And I have to give you, uh, I have to give you a pat on the back virtually here because we are mattress guys, and we don't care about the mattress. We he care knows about the that the he quality. was pandering to us. But we, but you said this well before you knew us. Sleep, no, sacrifice, yeah. success. I'm glad that you put sleep first because we're we think it's foundational to everything you do. And I love that. But tell us what you mean by sleep, sacrifice, success. My only my only thing I got to gig you on a little bit here is. Uh, 
I was worried about the amount of sleep that you were mentioning. Yeah, that somebody needs man. To get. I, I, you know, and, and here, here's the thing, you know, you heard me say earlier, we all make mistakes and the key is to, to learn, grow and don't repeat those mistakes. I built the great majority of my career up to, let's call it about 45 years old, 43 years old, uh, on three to four hours sleep a, a day. And my whole motto was, I've never met a, a, anyone that became a billionaire from sleeping. And, and so I, I believe that, okay, I'm going to make the most of all the hours I have. You know, I don't have any academic credentials. I've got hard work. That's what I've got. And what I realized is someone finally said to me, they said, look, you know, you'll be more productive if you get a little more sleep. And am I like, oh, bullshit? And so finally I said, okay, I'm going to try it. So I used to do three to four and then I went to five. And right now I'm up to six, six and a half. And I have found that that's a good number for me. I, I, I function very well and even at a higher level. So what I tell a lot of people is, yeah, that was a mistake on my part because if I would have gone back and could do six, six and a half hours, I probably would have accomplished a lot more. So as I, I tell the youth that, that I mentor, don't ever be like me, be a billion times better than me. Learn from the mistakes that I've made. And, and that was a mistake to, to, to believe and, and really uh, convince myself that, you know, three and a half, four hours of sleep, that's it. That's what you, you got to do. It. You got to do it. And, but the truth be told, six, six and a half is good for me. Some people it's seven, some people it, it, it's eight, but um, yeah, the, the whole sleep thing, you, you got to have it. You're more productive uh, in, in that. Yeah, you, you got to have that. So I, that was my mistake. I, I have no problem sharing my mistakes. I believe we all should share our, our mistakes in life. Um, so there you have it. Hey, as long as you came around to to the healing power and the magic of sleep, yep. that's all about it. We love to hear stories <laughs> like that. So, so Javon, uh, are we going to meet in Austin at Kelly's wedding or what? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, Kelly, yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. Shots. Kinsley and I aren't sure about this. Is this guy she's marrying, is he legit? Is he cool? Is he? I he's mean, legit, man. I, I've right. met him a few times. Uh, he's come in, man. Uh, and, and, and more importantly, man, she, she's happy. So, hey, as I tell her, hey, if you like him, I love him. So <laughs> it's, uh, if it's what makes you happy, all is well. Well, awesome. hey, we, we like you and we love you. You're an awesome person. And thank you for you know, being vulnerable, sharing your story, telling your story. It inspires people. I always tell my buddy Doug told me one time, people connect with your vulnerabilities, not your victories. And I definitely feel much more connected. Um, thank you for, for being on the show, just sharing your story and continuing to inspire people and for what you're doing to help people bring their dreams to life. I love that that's the focus because that's the focus for us. You know, we want to serve people in some way. I love what you're doing. Well, guys, I, I, I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, I, I've been sitting here ever since uh, uh, Mark asked the question early in our conversation. Um, you know, one, one of many of the things that I did as well for me, um, I eliminated three words. And this goes back to what you all said earlier about luck. I eliminated three words from my vocabulary as a kid. I eliminated the words hope, wish, and luck. And I'll go through each one of them real quick. Hope does not force execution. You can sit back and hope all day. Not going to do anything. And I traded hope for belief. 
if you believe something, then you have to execute to go get it. Belief forces execution. But you can hope all day and it's not going to not going to produce anything. And I, and I've got a, uh, I got to tell you this. I got a pastor friend of mine, uh, brother Smith. He says, Javon, I cannot eliminate the word hope from my sermon. I said it 16 times last week in, in, in my sermon. I said, okay, brother Smith, watch this. Do you want me to hope there's a God or do you want me to believe there's a God? I said, because if I just hope there's a God, I don't have to commit to a godly lifestyle. I'm just kind of hoping this thing works out. But if I believe there's a God, I got to commit to a godly lifestyle. Keep in mind, he's a pastor. He sits there for a second. He looks at me and he goes, damn, I never <laughs> thought of it that way. <laughs> and, and, and so Somebody and, just paid, you just paid, you got paid 10 bucks because you made a bet. I can make the pastor say, damn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, you know, so so I, I don't I eliminated hope. And and here's why. You know, when I was a kid and I would hope my dad would pick me up, he never showed. When I would hope there was something to eat when I got home, never produced anything. So I stopped hoping. Um, and then wish. Man, that's just a foul word. Uh, it's horrible. When you wish upon a star, get out of here with that. Uh, wishing won't wishing is actually worse than hope. Uh wishing doesn't produce anything. Drive through the big neighborhood and wish you had a house, not gonna do anything. You, you've got to believe. Um, and, and so much so, I got four kids, uh, seven, six, four, and two. So we got a lot of birthdays going on at the McCormick house. When the birthday cake hits the table and it's time to blow out the candles, we don't say make a wish at my house. We say make a goal because a goal, you're going to have to execute to achieve that goal. You can wish all day. Nothing's going to happen. So we don't, we don't do wish. And then luck, man, my background, there was just nothing lucky about it. I, I just, I don't do luck. And I've had people tell me, well, what, what about the hundred million dollar lottery winner? Uh, weren't they lucky? And I'm like, no, they executed. They bought a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to argue so, with that. So there, there it is, man. I, uh, that, it, that just stuck with me when, when you asked that, that question. Uh, and as a bonus, man, uh, one word I do live by, consistent. You got to be consistent, man. Consistent effort will will change your 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 path. It compounds over time, and magical things happen. Yep, when those things add up and build upon each other. Couldn't agree more. Hey, how can people get connected to you and your company? Uh, where should they go? Man, scribemedia.com is how you find the company. You all know this. You can go to uh, uh, jtmccormick.com or javonmccormick.com if you're looking for me uh, personally. Uh, and then social media, the only platform I'm on is uh, LinkedIn. And I, I usually share you know, mistakes, thoughts, uh, things I've learned in business uh, over there. Uh, so yeah, I, it's where you can find me, find the company. And, and it's not It's not hard. Javon, not in thanks this day for, and age. No, not these day and age. Um, <laughs> Javon, thanks for thanks for being on this show, Javon. And you guys get connected with the Javon. And if you're thinking about a book, ever thought about a book, know someone that is thinking about a book, uh, definitely reach out to these guys. Tell them Dos Marcos sent you. I think they'll know who you're talking about. And uh, whatever you do, listen to this podcast. This story is so compelling. We want you to go to wherever you get your podcast and rate us. We'd appreciate that. But... More importantly, share Javon's story with people. Uh, let them have the benefit of that. Send it to somebody and uh, see if it doesn't light them up like it did us. Javon, you demand, hey, for a mattress podcast, this didn't suck, did it? 
Oh man, this was awesome. Like you, you guys brought it for a mattress podcast. I'm like, this is nice. Yeah. Well, if you would stick around just a lo- little bit longer, I'm sure things would fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> just a matter of time. No doubt. All right. Oh, Sean, you said you can't rap, but you know what? These guys can. So check it out. You can bounce on it. What is a hot grill? It's like peanut butter jelly, peanut butter chocolate.